All right. Okay. We are trying this out. This is a podcast that I've been trying to put together for a while now. It's called Big with Two Eyes Before It Is Gone. So this is kind of stories that um, I think eventually we'll have people submitting. Uh, but initially it'll be people that I interview that I know. And it's stories that they have that range from, you know, the family story of how their grandparents met to just a crazy story in college to uh, anything else in between. And the premise behind this is to get the story down on audio somewhere. And hopefully this becomes an archive of these stories for folks that can then eventually um, utilize them for um, kind of a a way for people to look back on in their family and uh, get some good stories if their grandchildren is researching Harvey Kimball, who I have next to me here, my dad, um, and they come across Harvey Kimball because he was tagged, and uh, then they get a story of grandpa's life and some crazy things that happened in that life. So that's kind of the premise behind this, and we're just testing this out and trying to figure out how to get this set up so my dad has been willing to jump in and help me out with this and figure it out. So this time we're driving in a car, driving around town and figuring things out. So so this would be like a audio family history, right? Audio family history, which is great because my father is uh, a historian, I guess. Are you call the historian or just a history teacher? And I shouldn't say just. Well, I guess not. I am both. <laughs> I've written a history book and I've taught history. So I guess I qualify in both levels. In fact, my history was even footnoted, unlike some of this cheap stuff that's done today. Okay. So, again, we'll start out with, not again, but we'll start out with kind of just some uh, background on my father, kind of get to know uh, the guest here so that you all know kind of the background of of where we're coming from. And then um, he definitely does have some interesting stories that we want to dive into and and look into, and, and he's been more than willing to share those. So, Dad, welcome to Big Before It's Gone. Before It's Gone. How are you doing today? I'm doing great because I'm not gone yet. So, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about where I came from. Okay. You know, my dad, who was uh, semi-orphan, he was raised by his grandparents because his dad died and his mom was running around being a stay-at-home nurse with people. Back then, they didn't have places they sent you except to go folks home. So, take it home. They called me and raised Hensley to come and take care of things. And I said Grace Hensley because she had four husbands and outlived them all. But anyway, my grandmother, uh, she was quite the tough old bird. In other words, when I was little and about three years old, she'd take me into the kitchen and set me up on the table and she'd say, give grandma some sugar and she'd bite my cheeks till they turned red. So anyway, she also was one of those ladies who was just more than honest. My brother, uh, the other sibling in the family, when he was born, he had carrot red hair, and he was apparently red as a beet as a child, and my grandmother, Grace, looked at the boy and said, that is the ugliest baby I've ever seen. So, my grandmother from Texas, what we call Granny Florence, she almost got in a fist fight with her. So that's a little bit about the Kimball's ancestry. Now, I don't know much about 
grandparents uh, because we never were around grandparents and one of the grandparents my dad's dad died when he was six months old so let's go back a little bit so because your granny called your brother the ugliest kid alive did you also utilize that against uncle perry for the rest of his life when growing up Oh you no! Sh- you I still reference that. I used to, I used to beat the snot out of him occasionally. But anyway, he was always a little skinny, scrawny kid, and I'd get on top of him and tickle him till he screamed. But other than that, we got along great. Um, he never was. Uh, we never were really competitive. He was always wanting to stay home while I did uh, farm work. You know, um, my dad met my mom during the war in Texas and uh, he was a sergeant in the infantry and she was a school teacher and uh, supposedly the way they met uh, she had to go to a USO uh, get together for the soldiers and they could either go in the room playing cards or they could go dance and she went in the room to dance and this handsome sergeant asked her to dance and they danced night away and wouldn't you know, six months later, they're getting married right before he's going to ship overseas to fight the Germans. So uh, they got married while he was in uniform, and there wasn't any rice. So the soldiers threw soup beans at him when they left. Anyway, uh, they uh, went back to Illinois, where my dad was from, to introduce her. And then... Uh, he went off to war and she went back to teach at school. And uh, one of the things that's always been a family story, and my mother's sport to it, was when my dad was fighting in the Battle of the Bulge, he didn't have any overshoes, so he was fighting in leather uh, soldier shoes, and his feet froze. And so he was walking around like he said it was like walking on boards or whatever. He didn't have any feeling. And he survived the Battle of the Bulge, although they were surrounded and cut off from the regular troops for about a week. And uh, he made it out of there uh, with his feet froze. But when they took him off the front lines to thaw his feet out, he said it felt like needles poking into his feet all the time as they thought and the story is after he got back from the war they were going over his story and they got to figuring the dates out and the same day he came off the front lines with his feet hurting my mom woke up with her feet burning in Texas and they hurt all night the next morning they were okay there was no uh any indication anything had been hurt, but here she is, thousands of miles away, and her feet are hurting at the same time his are hurting. Now, is that true love or what? I don't know. A little weird, but <laughs> I always thought they were a little bit weird anyway. So, and you in see, any case... And you said they did... Don't run over that dog, my goodness! <sighs> okay, we're good. So you did say that they did this comparison by looking at letters when they were writing back and forth. When they got back, they kind of compared dates. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, you've told me another story 
Uh, I guess we'll dive right into that. A story about when Gramps was in the war and we had kind of gone down a religious talk over, I don't know, hiking or camping or something or uh, whatever. And you told a story about uh, him hearing God's voice or someone, right? But well, tell that story. He was, uh, I suppose, a fair-weather Methodist, but when he got in the war, he said nobody was an atheist in his group once uh, the shells started coming in. In any case, he uh, claimed that he had uh, the chaplain come and give his company uh, the uh, uh, sacraments, and... Uh, Nobody in his group uh, was killed. There were a number of them wounded, but nobody in his group was killed uh, as he went into battle. Um, he always thought that had an impact. But he said the thing that had he thought God was looking out for him is they were being shelled by the Germans, and they had dug in in the ground narrow slip trench foxholes and something told him to move he got a message uh, I suppose some people would say from the Lord but something said you got to move and so he got out of the foxhole and he moved over on the other side of his buddy uh, up on the ground and a shell landed right in the foxhole where he'd been and of course the shell broke up and he had uh, hot shrapnel fly into his body and sear shut and so he carried shrapnel in his body till the day he died uh, from that shell exploding but it didn't kill him if he'd have been there he'd have been blown apart man do you know or do you have any other stories like that that he had told um, from the war well he uh, he had this story that Knowing my dad, we always wondered about. You see, he would—he was called up uh, prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, and so when Pearl Harbor happened, he was in the guardhouse in Rockford, Illinois. Now he claims that he was an MP and he was in the guardhouse as a guard. Now we all wonder about that, but in any case. <laughs> He was in the guardhouse when Pearl Harbor happened. And what makes us wonder about it is he didn't stay in the MPs if he actually was in them. He volunteered for the infantry to go overseas. Now he claimed that was the smartest thing he ever did because when the Battle of the Bulge came and there was the breakthrough of the Germans, the MPs who were on the road directing traffic, the Germans just all executed. So he said, I probably would have been executed if I had stayed in the MPs, but by being in the Army, I only got my feet froze, so I had no feeling in my feet for the rest of my life. So I was lucky. Sounds like he was pretty lucky a few times, but he was still a fair-weather Methodist. <laughs> he was a fair-weather Methodist. He, uh, he would go uh, to Easter service, Christmas, and when I was growing up as a little kid he uh he was part of the methodist men and uh they would go play uh softball against the uh 
prisoners in uh, Fort Madison uh, prison and he said it was funny because their softball team was terrible and the prisoner's team was really great but uh, the prison camp always cheered for uh, the Methodists who were there instead of the prisoners who were playing. Anyway. That makes sense. Uh, he he was an interesting guy because he had a bloody nose all the time that it even got tapped. And uh, he and a friend were running for a softball, a fly ball into center field and they collided head to head. And my dad knocked out the guy that he hit in the head and he was just cold knocked out on the ground and my dad was bleeding all over the place so everybody came around my dad and was all concerned about him and the poor guy knocked out just laying there mumbling so anyway <laughs> you never knew well we're covering a lot of ground quickly here um but let's transition a little bit into um where well long time before me <laughs> but you grew up on a farm so Gramps met Granny here in Texas. They eventually, he comes back from the war and they eventually moved to Illinois. Is that where he's from originally? He's originally from uh, Roseville, Illinois, uh, and Media, Illinois. Uh, Media was where he grew up and went to high school, and Roseville's where he finished high school, uh, going uh, to play football. He was quite the football player, apparently. Anyway, he. Uh, uh, came back from the war, and my mom, he said, I want to be a farmer in Texas. And my mom told him, said, you don't know how to farm in Texas. You do know how to farm in Illinois, so I'll move to Illinois. So they moved to Illinois, and he became a, a tenant farmer. He rented uh, 160 acres of land and uh, started farming uh, for my uncle. Uh, my mom started teaching school in a one-room schoolhouse near where they were living. They lived in a two-room shack with no running water, outdoor toilet, and uh, I think what's wrong with me is my mom, who'd never seen too much snow in Texas, uh, got plenty of snow in Illinois, and the kids were at the school on recess were taking a runner sled slot sled runner sled and they were putting it inside the uh, slide big tall slide in the playground and they'd get on the sled and they'd go down the slide and the sled would fly out and they'd land in the snow and so my mom thought that looked like great fun she'd try it so she got <laughs> Now she's pregnant with me, okay? <laughs> Maybe so she gets in the sled. <laughs> I see well now why you said what you said. <laughs> and she starts down the slide and it's all going well till she hits the bottom. And when she hits the bottom, smack, the runners spread apart and she tears the sled completely apart. <laughs> So I got quite a jolt in that body, apparently. She was now went from a favorite teacher to a hated teacher because she ruined the sled. Yeah, she cried and promised the kids she'd pay for a new sled for him. And I think the kids were just laughing, thought it was funny as the devil. But anyway. Now, switching gears a little bit, talking about or continuing with Granny, there's another story similar to something that happens later on where you bought a motorcycle or something. 
Uh, and yeah. Granny decided to partake? Well, you know, my mom was always curious about how things worked. And so I had this little 150 Honda that I thought made me uh, some, uh, you know, crazy Harley uh, rider. Anyway, I was, Hell's Angel. I was riding it around playing Hell's Angels, and she said, uh, Harv, I'd like to try and ride that. I said, oh, that's easy. Just get on. So she gets on it. She's doing pretty good. She goes around the circle drive and the farm, and lo and behold, she doesn't turn quite right. She hits a rock that's marking the edge of the driveway and falls over and burns her leg on the manifold. So that was the last she rode my Honda 150. Now, were you blamed for that, or does she take her own? Oh, no, I was never blamed for anything. I was the favorite son, of course, you know. I was at three years old reciting the night before Christmas in front of the whole church. So you how, that, could, you, how could I be? You weren't the ugly kid? <laughs> no. I was... I was rather big for my age, but anyway, you know, at six years old, I'm driving a tractor down the road for my dad, moving from one farm to another. And, of course, when you're six years old on a massive Harrison tractor, you can't reach the clutch or the brake, but it was no problem because I was taught at a young age how to turn the switch off. So if you get in trouble, you just turn the switch off and the tractor stops. Uh, plus, he had it in low gear, so I wasn't going very fast. Farm ingenuity there at its finest. Just anyway, um, you know, I'm a, a uh, what do we call us? Uh, one of those uh, war babies? No, not exactly a war baby. But anyway. <laughs> Something like that. I, uh, I grew up on a 160-acre farm that my father rented, and... I'm probably one of the last Kimballs to go to a one-room schoolhouse. I was going to get to that. So that is, uh, being an educator, that probably is an interesting well, twist you from know, what you taught as of a few know, years I ago. I used to get on the school bus, ride probably six, seven miles to a one-room schoolhouse. We had first and second grade in the school. And, you know, it was interesting because... These porta potties are no big deal to me because I grew up going to outdoor toilets at the school. You know, at uh, Halloween time, they would come around and tip the toilets over uh, <laughs> just to be honorary kids. Now, hopefully, nobody's in them. They do it at night. But anyway, um, there was one toilet that was hard to set up, and the other toilet they could set up pretty quickly. So they'd come by and set the toilet up. But then, you know, the girls always got to go to the bathroom first because some naughty boys, and I can't imagine who they were, would pee all the way around the edge of the, of the toilet hole so that it was wet. So they didn't want the girls to go first or last because it would be a wet experience. Anyway, we used to play fun games, you know. We could play Red Rover, Red Rover, send Bobby right over, and he'd try and break between our arms and we just throw it back out in the middle you know because yeah. I was really good because they call my name which they didn't often because I was so good I just break through every time 
Thus, yeah. your illustrious football career starts, right? Well, you know, we did play football at recess a little bit. We also used to play hide-and-seek, and I was I was the best hide-and-seek player because I knew how to cry, crime up in the coal bin. Now, they had a coal bin, uh, which they used coal to heat the stove in the one-room schoolhouse, and I'd climb up in the coal bin and the rafters, and nobody could find me. <laughs> How long would you stay in this set? I'd stay there until they begged me to come in because it was, you know, getting close to the end of recess. So your recess was longer than most? Yeah. Now, my problem in school, in the, in the one-room schoolhouse, was that I happened to be in school with three very smart people. Now, there were five in our class. Uh, Connie Harden, Gary Graham, Lyle Dakin... Bobby McKinney and me and Lyle and Connie and Gary they were show off teachers pets advanced students okay and they were really good in math and I was not and so we had in my second grade a teacher who wanted to have those kids advance only she made the whole class advance and so I couldn't get my math problems done during regular school time so I had to miss recess to finish doing my math problems and maybe that's why I learned to hate math I don't know I think I carried that on <laughs> I'm not sure I had to skip recess for it but I have your same hatred for it uh -huh. as well as my daughters so now in third grade, I went to another one-room schoolhouse, which had third, fourth, and fifth grade in it. And we only went there for a half a semester, and then they closed all of the one-room schools, and everybody went to Roseville to a new elementary school. And the only problem with that was, as a young guy, was my mom was a fifth grade teacher in this school that went first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade. So for the first seven grades, well, no, actually I started in third, so third through seven, what could I do? I couldn't do anything and get away with anything because they tattled to my mom all the time. Seems very similar to my experience. <laughs> I think oh, you were a teacher at my high school. Were you in high school with yes, your dad as a teacher? Yes, and oh. I remember certain times when I wasn't able to get away with anything like when you had assignments before. Nowadays, they just put everything on Google Classroom or whatever, and you can check your kid's stuff. But you were friends with all these teachers for 20 years or plus, so you would just stop in and say, Hey, Miss Leventhal, um, how's Zach doing in class? Or... Um, my Spanish teacher, or anywhere, and you found out I wasn't doing well in math either pretty quickly. Yeah, and I found out what we could do to correct it. Yes. Like, you could go in early and work. So, okay, I didn't miss recess, but I did go in early every day to work on algebra. Okay. All right. Which is a nice carryover for you, because you get up early all the time now, and it's no big deal. Exactly. <laughs> you were just setting me up for success. That's good. That's good. <laughs> So, what is, I mean, again, talking to anyone that, like yourself, that has started out in a one-room schoolhouse, to then you became a teacher, and then 
in, in reality or on down the road, you became a talented and gifted teacher with probably some of the most high tech tech for schools. Yes. So you went to these new like electric whiteboards kind of before anyone else even. And what's kind of the what was what was that like over your life to kind of see all the changes in schools? Well, you know, the, the funny thing is that they say we're preparing students today for what they don't know they'll have tomorrow, you know. And, and I look back on that and I think, you know, I see all these kids who are so good at texting with their thumbs. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I took typing class. And I was one of the worst typing students he had because I was slow, but I didn't make mistakes. And, of course, their goal was to make you a courtroom typist or something, so you flew through the keys. But, you know, learning the keyboard and learning how to type is carried over to the computer world. And I can sit there and knock out messages on my laptop pretty easy because of that skill I had, whereas I don't know what kids do today. Are they still doing the hunt and peck method? Or I don't know how they can do their thumbs on the big keyboard real well, but maybe it works for them. I don't know. It is weird. Well, I think in high school when we learn typing still, um, the quick brown fox yes. um, jumped over the fence. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't think they're here. Kinsley's not there yet, but but I still think they teach it. Because, yeah, yes. I think the, big, the biggest transition, and I, I was lucky because everybody, everybody was the same level of ignorance with computers. So as I transitioned into the computer age, you know, I was learning computers like everybody else was learning. Now some went faster than I did, but uh, you know, computers became my. Uh, economic uh, salvation because uh, my wife Shirley and I started the Peter Quiz Bowl business about the time the Apple IIe was being put into every school. And the problem was the Apple IIe didn't have very much in the way of programming available to it. And so to give the teachers an opportunity <laughs> to put a disc into the computer and have the students take a quiz on it was just awesome because then they could justify getting a computer in their program because they needed it for the quiz bowl. And we were fortunate to be on the edge of the wave that has crashed now across all of the schools. <laughs> and we have had to transition ourselves in our business to keep up, and eventually we reached a point where we had to do everything online like we do now to uh, make it fit every platform that's out there. Sure. Well, I think that the interesting story that I have on that, and, and Mom kind of uh, said this one time, and it's obviously stuck with me, but Mom kind of joked one time that you guys used to pray that you would have you would make enough money with the business to put your kids through college. That's true. And that worked. You, your business allowed you to put your kids through college. Yes. But, like you said, it started to die off a little bit when more stuff went online until you kind of caught up to that or whatever. But it, it died off a little bit with all the other stuff that's out there. Um, 
around the time that we got done with college, it started to to um, lessen a little bit. Now, the problem with that is, mom goes, we should have prayed that we were rich our whole life <laughs> instead of just getting your kids through college because your prayers worked. Yeah, prayers were answered that way. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I shouldn't complain because now I have a little nest egg in IRAs that uh, help me with retirement. But on the other hand, we still do the quiz bowl business. Here I am, 73 years old and still working where everybody else is just playing golf every day. But shout out to Thinking Cap Quiz Bowl. If your kids in 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade can take a quiz and be compared against other states across the country That's and right. across your state. Another problem that's happened with the business is all the teachers who loved our quiz bowl are retiring. <laughs> uh, so I'm having to train a new wave who aren't as enthused about it as those of us who first started out with Apple IIEs. Anyway, and there's stupid quizzes out there all the time, like HQ quiz and all this other junk out there. You call it junk, but you guys are like addicted to it like crack. <laughs> you and mom will well, stop the world for HQ. <laughs> that's true, but you know, being a quiz bowl master like myself, I keep winning at the, and I can't can't stop myself. You know? What's like a game that older folks play all the time, backgammon or something, or what's it? It's like you and the Sapphurses and, and the, yeah, those, yeah. You, it's, it's like new, playing bridge. Or yeah, something. it's like playing. That's what I meant, bridge. It's like you guys playing bridge against each other. You, but now it's online, and the world stops at eight o'clock at night for ten minutes. Yeah. While some weirdo on <laughs> drunk in California, they somehow put in front of a camera to do a quiz online. Right. All right. Circling back. Um, Let's circle back to the farm. Yeah, I was gonna say we're going back to the farm. So you know, I grew up on a farm uh, where I did, where I was uh, only child for three years, and about age four, um, I started to love chickens. We always had chickens that we raised to get weird people and <laughs> I didn't have any pet so I would go out in the chicken yard and I'd pick a chicken up by its neck and hold it and hug it and squeeze it and the chick would ch chicken would go limp because its windpipe was shut off and my mom or dad would yell at me Harvey let go of that chicken Actually, they say Harvey Jr. because, you know, I was a junior. Anyway, I let go of the chicken, and then it would usually revive and flop away and run away from me. And so finally, in desperation, they got me a dog. <laughs> a dog named Shep. And Shep was my buddy and friend. And Shep loved me so much that when it was time to come in in the afternoon for supper, Shep would get in front of the door and Shep wouldn't let me come in. He'd just stay there and push me back out in the yard so I could play with him some more. And so Shep and I were real buddies and Shep wasn't allowed in our house because my folks didn't believe in inside dogs. But I would go and stay in Shep's house when I'd play and we'd hang out in his dog house and, you know, solve problems. Now, my hero, you know, everybody's got a hero, it seems like. My hero was Roy Rogers, and I 
I had Roy Rogers vest, I had Roy Rogers chaps, Roy Rogers cowboy boots, I was Roy Rogers. Now my brother, you know, when he started to talk, he couldn't say Roy, but he called Goy, so I was Goy to him. <laughs> now if I was going to be Roy Rogers, I had to have a horse, right? So my dad got me a horse who was a pretty little pinto called Billy Boy, and he was mean as dirt. What a and great horse to give your child. Billy Boy was really, I think he bought him because he was so pretty and looked really good, but Billy Boy, he, he bought you. He didn't, he, I could only ride him when my dad was leading him. So one day, Billy Boy done something that made me mad, and I picked up a little nail keg, which is a little wooden barrel, and I took it, and I threw it at him, standing right behind him, and Billy Boy kicked that barrel up over my head, so Billy Boy disappeared somewhere, and all of a sudden, I got an ugly brown pony named Tony. <laughs> And this ugly brown pony was as gentle as a kitten, or maybe a dumb dog, I don't know. But you could ride your tricycle right into him and he'd just look at you like, you, you idiot. Anyway, Tony Pony was my friend, and when I'd come home from school, I had to change out of my school clothes into a set of jeans. And my mom only washed once a week, so I had these special jeans that I put on. And we had such a good time, Tony and I, because I'd put on my special jeans and I'd jump on Tony bareback. I didn't even need a saddle. And I'd ride Tony around the farm lot and, you know, pony shed, especially when they get a little uh, sweaty. And so those jeans were like all white and brown in the crotch because there was pony hair on them for most of the week. But Tony was a wonderful pony. We even trained Tony to pull a cart. And Tony could pull this little cart all over the place. And I pretended I was a race socky driver because my Aunt B, who lived in Iowa, used to race horses at county fairs. And she had a horse named Tallcorn, who's won almost every time it raced. And so I thought Tony and I could do a race, just like my Aunt B. So I got the old Ford tractor out. It had a blade on the back. And I made a big circle racetrack in the farm lot. And we'd go around that track just like we were big racers. Now, when you <laughs> destroyed the farm lot, was Gramps okay with this, or did Granny have an opinion of this? It wasn't a problem. I was just moving cow poop off to the side. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that was the justification. <laughs> so you know, every so often you have to clean the cow poop off anyway. So <laughs> what I did was okay. He didn't care. So I think there's another story that I remember about you and a pony, and was it the dog Duke? Oh, I, had a, I had a dog, uh, a boxer named Debbie. And Debbie Boxer was not friendly like Shep. 
Debbie, though, was very protective of the family, and you better not come to the house without permission, because Debbie would lay in the front step and growl at you like, you're going to die. Anyway, I had a, another pony named Rex, and Rex was a little skittish, and I had Rex hooked up to a cart, and for some reason, Rex zigged when I should have zagged, and I went off the cart and fell onto the ground, and the pony got scared and took off running around and around the farm lot, and Debbie ran out and grabbed the pony by the tail and swung it around the opposite direction, and Tony ran into the wall and stopped, and we caught, I mean Rex did, and we caught Rex, and everything was okay, but Debbie made a big mistake in her life. My dad had two Canadian geese that he was in love with. He was hoping that they would raise a set of goslings, is it called? I don't know. Baby geese. Anyway, Canadian geese take about a year to pair up, and so the second year and they were making a nest and my dad was all excited and when Canadians are nesting they're pretty nasty to things that come around they don't want anybody around their nest and they'll come at you with their neck out and whatever and that was a big mistake because Debbie broke both their necks <laughs> and then my dad took Debbie farm uh, plowing with him and he took Debbie he also took his Shovel? Well, no, he didn't take his shovel. He took his pistol with him. Oh. And, you know, when you plow, you make a deep furrow. And I don't know. Debbie didn't come back. The plow. That day. That's the farm. Hashtag farm life. She just went off to dog heaven, I guess. And Debbie's waiting for me up there. Because, you know, all dogs go to heaven. Apparently. Even bad dogs. And they can also follow them when they say a dog's going off to the farm. I remember one day, Debbie was chasing a rabbit, and the rabbit ran through the gate to get away, and Debbie hit it with her head and smashed the whole end of the rabbit across the gate. Uh, so the rabbit was still trying with its front legs to get someplace, but it wasn't going anywhere. Anyway, those are just farm stories that make me a little more callous than the people uh, in my family who are such dog lovers, they'd never hurt a exactly. dog like Debbie or a rabbit like Debbie hurt the rabbit. Exactly. Well, okay, we're wrapping this up. We've entered the neighborhood. We've done our first test run here on our first installment. So this is a kind of part one. And uh, obviously my dad's got years and years of stories. So you got some of the highlights there and I appreciate that. We're going to stop it here very soon and uh, with part one here and then jump in the car I think and head to a volleyball tournament where we might try to start this up again and get some more stories out of the old man so thank you for your first round of stories oh yeah and I want to go see my granddaughters because they're the best volleyball players I've ever seen and that runs in the family because my dad was a great football player you I were was a great football player. I was an all state football player I was a my son was an all-conference punter, 
and I just can't believe we've got all conference girls playing volleyball. All right. And so, until next time, this is Harv Kimball <laughs> signing off on the great experiment of family no, big. oral history, sometimes called big history. <laughs> big history. All right. Thanks, Dad.